All right, next year, I think, <clears throat> there are so many great resurrection songs. I think next year during each of the Sabbaths from Resurrection to Pentecost, I'm going to do the message uh, on the text behind those songs because uh, just some incredible things there. Uh, I always uh, think of that when, uh, when we sing them. Oh, there's something to say about that. Oh, there's something to say about it. Oh, there's something to say about that. Uh, one of the problems is um, when, when you know a lot of scripture and you know the, uh, the hymns, the hyperlinks, the mental hyperlinks just flash all over on you. If you don't, you, they, it just doesn't make any sense. But boy, if you have that, you're getting this total experience in your mind that, uh, that I think we want to make sure the kids get. Um, Today is a day of joy. Today is a day of comfort. Today is a day of hope. Uh, it's not uniform. Uh, for many, uh, as we've had testimony, the Lord has done something good and there's rejoicing. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. For others, there is a, uh, this is a season of loss. Uh, and and they're mourning and they're struggling with those things, uh, but seeing through that glass darkly the the hope of resurrection, and we mourn with those who mourn. It's it's an interesting thing for us to uh, both rejoice and to mourn and to uh, be hopeful and to uh, be unaware of what's going on. All of those things uh, happening together. That's because the uh, community. Uh, sits in several intersections of life. And this week is an intersection between Judaism and Christianity. It's a remembrance of the Passover events when God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt into the covenant with God and His people bringing them ultimately into the land promised to Abraham. It's also a remembrance of Jesus, the servant of God, who suffered death and burial and was resurrected uh, as a sacrifice for our sins and the ultimate Passover for both Israel and those of us from the nations who trust in the God of Abraham. But this week connects even more than that. It connects Shavuot uh, when the commandments are given, uh, 50 days, so the counting of the Omer and the counting of the Sabbaths connect here. It connects to Yom Kippur uh, through the sacrifice for sins and the ascension of Jesus as our great high priest. And it anticipates the fulfillment of the restoration of the kingdom to Israel when Jesus returns from heaven, steps on the Mount of Olives and establishes the kingdom with the sound of the shofar raising the dead and the kingdom finally coming that we have prayed for. And he will sit on the throne of his father David. All of those things are connected. It's really difficult to talk about one part of it without all of the other coming into, uh, into context. So, the resurrection is of particular importance in all of this because the rituals of the Passover Seder and the Last Supper Eucharist uh, express these truths and invite us to experience that truth through the ceremonies. We're to experience those events as if we were there so that we are part of that. And the internalization of that is critical for our identity as believers 
and for our worldview as Jews and Christians united in Messiah. At the heart of this is resurrection. If there is no resurrection, everything falls apart. We're told in several passages of the New Testament that we are to consider ourselves raised with Christ and seated with Him in the heavens. A very odd statement for us to experience. Uh, but, today I want to underscore that for our understanding. Reading one of the texts that is the text for this Sunday in the uh, traditional readings. So I'd like you to turn to Colossians uh, chapter 3. Now those of you who are familiar with the Bible know that there is a major parallel between Ephesians and Colossians. Um, these letters uh, have a lot of the same material. They follow a lot of the same form. I'm going to go back and forth a little bit with them. And I'm going to not go through all of the books. And I'm not even going to go through the entire chapter of 3. I'm only going to get to verse 17. But I actually could go the rest of the way. I just I am concerned about uh, missing the overall point when it gets to uh, where the application starts. So I'm just going to mention that at the end. In Colossians chapter 3, one, uh, verses 1 to 3, uh, Paul says, therefore, now he says therefore because he's been talking about uh, what Christ has done and that we're not to let someone judge us with regard to the celebration of a holy day or a Sabbath because these things are shadows of things to come. Now he's not saying uh, don't let somebody judge you uh, for not doing them. He's really talking about don't let somebody judge you for doing them in that context. He now says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Now that's the actual reading for today. Uh, incredible stuff. I want us to think about those first three verses um, initially. Paul tells us that in some way, you and I have been raised with Christ. And we have ascended with Him. And we should have our focus and perspective from that position. Now that's, that's fascinating. When, when I first started doing the Holy Days, one of the uh, earliest ones I did was the uh, high priest service that we do. Uh, we, had, we had built the uh, tabernacle furniture. We were trying to work through that. We were going to celebrate the entire Leviticus 16 section of, uh, of the high priest. And so we did that. And then when we got to the part where Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, I realized that it had only been fulfilled up to that point. And the rest of Yom Kippur has yet to be fulfilled because it's the second coming when He returns, when He's revealed, as this passage says. I don't think I would have realized that if we hadn't actually gone through the ceremony. There's something about ritual that brings that, that to our minds. 
Uh, many of you know that as we used to do this, we would take all of the chairs out of the sanctuary. We would come in and we would go, we are standing on holy ground. And we would sing those and then we'd go out. Then we'd have to bring all the chairs back. And that was because what's unique to the Yom Kippur aspects with regard to Jesus is that he did something no high priest ever did. He entered into the place with his own blood, and then the scripture says he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. No high priest ever did that. So there's nothing in Leviticus or in the book of Hebrews for me to have uh, understood. So we just removed everything and stood before the ark on holy ground. Then I read Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, that is talking about this same context, verse 3, he says, We used to live formerly uh, among those who lived in the lusts of their flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, who were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in transgressions, made us alive with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow. So then, it was clear that we were doing the original wrong. And so we left the chairs in, and now when we do it, and we get to this place, we actually sit down. Hard to think that when Jesus rose from the dead, we were raised. Because that was so long ago. When He ascended, we ascended. When He sat down, we sat down. When he returns to be revealed, we will be revealed. We, those are nice words. That could go on a card. But they're not nice words to go on a card. They're words to live by. I want you to hear that. They're words to live by. In other words, Paul is saying to us in both of these letters, You have been raised with him. You have ascended with him. You are seated with Him. You're going to be revealed with Him. You're going to rule and reign with Him. So you have to start setting your mind on those things and not on this world. You have to begin to live as if the kingdom is now. Well, it's not now. I know that every time I leave the house. And get on the freeway. I know that every time I'm looking for a parking spot. I know that every time we visit a hospital. I know that whenever I drive by a cemetery. And yet I'm supposed to live as if I'm seated with Christ anticipating the kingdom. And I don't know what that looks like. Well, Paul says, I'll show you. But I want you to catch this. This is why we need a biblical 
worldview and mindset. That's why Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One of the problems we have in the American church is we're so assimilated into the world that we've somehow got the idea that the gospel is, I've put you on layaway. Now, go out there and find what you want to be and what you want to do and how you want to live it and ask me to bless it. And then in the next world, you'll do what I tell you. No. You're to die to self. Take up your cross and follow Him. Do what He says now so that you will rule and reign with Him in the world to come. Now that's difficult to do when you're facing marriage. Because marriage, you have to kind of live in this world too. And then you have children. (laughs) You're really in the world, right? I mean, they're all through that world. So now the issue is, how do we live Risen with Him. Ascended with Him. Seated with Him. Hidden with Him. Waiting to be revealed to the world who doesn't get us at all. Uh, And how do I bring my kids and my family and my marriage and all of that into that reality? Because the end of this chapter, that's exactly what he says. After giving this, he says, uh, wives, husbands, children... I mean, he goes right into those. That's the practical application. It's in the household. So how does this work? Well, he says, when he is revealed, we also will be revealed in glory. So the purpose of this life for us is preparing for the kingdom to come. Not openly. For we are hidden. And this is a problem for us. We have a tendency, because of the modern missions movement and the modern evangelistic push, to think that the whole purpose of us staying, the reason God didn't take us to heaven when we accepted Jesus, was so that we would go out and tell the world about Jesus. Now, the preaching of the gospel is important, and those that God has prepared to do that, and those that God uh, brings an urgency to do that, People like Paul, like the apostles, like many others that have come down through the world in part of their gifting in the church. That's a very important thing. That is not generally the calling and place of most of God's people. The calling and place of most of God's people, interestingly enough, is to live this quiet life in anticipation of the kingdom, to begin to live kingdom lives so that when we are revealed, we have rehearsed it well enough to do it. So the scripture says that those who do the commandments, teach others to do so, will be great in the kingdom of heaven. And those who don't do the commandments and don't teach others to do so, or teach others not to do so, will be least in the kingdom of heaven. Our place in the kingdom depends on this preparation now. When he establishes the kingdom, our place in that kingdom will be based on our faithfulness and obedience in this life, not our place and success in this world. So, he's now going to tell us what it is that we're supposed to be doing in this hidden state. And he begins at verse 5. Therefore, 
Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, that's fornication there, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. Because it's of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. So, the first thing he says to do is that we are to consider ourselves dead to these things. It's an interesting term. When I was a teenager, we had a phrase. I don't know if the phrase is used anymore. Most phrases that were popular when I was a teenager uh, bring crickets to the people I say, say it to. But when we were really exhausted... We couldn't do anything. We're just not going to participate. Or we were so asleep that you couldn't wake us. We'd say, man, I was dead to the world. Anybody know that phrase? Dead to the world? Dead to the world means the world can go on, but it's going on without me. Okay? That's what Paul's saying. You are to consider your... You are to put... The word actually means put put your members to death with regard to these things of the world. These are the passions and the lusts and the drives and the these are the life instincts of the present reality. I got to have more. I got to get this. I got to do this. I got to do that. All of that because I'm I'm a life. Life just wants to do that, and it draws us, and ultimately draws us away from the things of God and towards the things of the world, and ultimately to sin. And he says, those things are the reason God's wrath is coming on the earth. So, just now that you're raised with Christ, now that you're ascended with Christ, now that you're seated with Christ, you need to be dead to these things. You used to live in them. Most people do but not anymore, because you're dead to the world and alive to Christ. May I boast in nothing except the cross of Christ, through whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. That's dead to the world. So now, in that context, he says, these desires that come from our body and our sin is tantamount to following another God. He says it's idolatry. Well, how can it be idolatry? I'll tell you how it can be idolatry. Because idolatry is nothing more than a projection game. Many of you graduated with psychology degrees, you know what projection is. Projections when you look, you know, the Rorschach inkblot test, and you say, what's this? And you say, it's a bird. It's not a bird, right? It's a, I see Elvis, you know, singing a concert. Whatever you're seeing is coming out of your mind being projected on that thing. Okay? That's projection. That's what idolatry is. Because an idol is a piece of gold or a piece of wood or a piece of stone that can't do anything. Has eyes, but it can't see. Ears, but it can't hear. Mouth, but it can't talk. Hands, but it can't reach. It's just there. It's idol. Just a little fun with that, right? So that means that the worshiper of the idol who thinks that the idol is communicating to him 
is, is basically listening to his own passions and desires and thoughts. And assuming they're coming from the God. That, my friends, is paganism. And the church is shot through with it. It just thinks that God is doing it. But we still follow our passions. We still follow our thoughts. We still follow all of that. Not the word of God, which we have. But what we think God is saying to us. And Paul says, knock it off. You're dead to that. And we'll see that in detail when we go back to our Corinthians letter. Paganism took human traits and attributed it to the gods. The idols were not capable of anything, but by projecting human desires onto them, the will of the gods became the way of getting what we want and calling it the will of gods. Today, secularism uh, tells us to follow our hearts and its desire, and the church says the same thing, because it's God in you talking to you. Both of these things are idolatry because they reject the true God who created us, bought us with a price, and gave, in his, gave us His word to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So that we would know how to interpret the circumstances, not as a communication from God, but God telling us how to deal with them based on His word. And we'll see that later in this context. God's wrath against disobedience is therefore justified, because there's no other God. We used to walk that way, but Paul says we don't walk that way any longer. I wish that were still true. So now we pick it up in verse 8. So also now, put these things aside. Now Paul's going to use an interesting phrase. He's going to talk almost as if you're taking off some clothes and putting on a new change of clothes. That's, that's the imagery that he does here. Put off all of these things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and you have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, Californian, Arizonan. Uh, but Christ is all and in all. We're told to put these things aside because we have a new language. The new language is to speak the word of God to one another. Speak the truth in love. Not to speak what we think and what we feel and what's happening, which we have a tendency to fall back to that old man. Okay? The problem is the killing of the self is a constant problem. One preacher once described it. You know, the problem with the living sacrifice is when he gets up on the altar, it hurts. <laughs> that fire's hot, so he gets off, right? If we were dead, we'd just lie there, right? But we're, wow, that, that's, uh, that's rough. Then we're back out here, and so we have to keep dying to self. Paul says, I die daily. Sometimes it's hourly, right? 
sometimes it goes several days ago. I've been kind of living off the track. Time to get back, right? So, he says to us that we are to put on a new self that's based on true knowledge according to the Creator and Savior. Where do you get the true knowledge of the Creator and the Savior? Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. How do we know that? Oh, it just came to me. No, it comes from the text. The text. Okay? I know texting has a different meaning now, but God's texting all came at once in, the, in this. Well, actually, it came through a series of things, but we now have it, right? So the idea is to read that thing, okay? So he says uh, that we are to do this. And this is going to ultimately create the image of God and the image of His Son in us. Because we're being transformed. Now back to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4 verses 14 and 15, talking about this same thing. Paul then talks about this unity of us doing this. He says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Then he says, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We are the body of Christ. We are parts of his body and members of one another. And in that sense, we need each other. We need a relational context. And that relationship, as was declared earlier, is all around the world. Okay, there's the whole body of Christ, and there's the local congregation. The dynamics are somewhat different, but the meaning is the same, that we belong to one another, and that we are to function in that context. So Paul says that our unity is not uniformity. One's a hand, one's the foot, one's the leg, one's the shoulder, Right? For a long time, I used to tell people I feel like I'm the armpit. You know, I don't. You know, what do you do with that? Right? So, what what part of the body am I? How do I fit into this kind of thing? Right. So, growing in grace and in knowledge means growing into one another by one anothering in the context that we ultimately are able to see the body edify itself in love. So, Paul then is telling us that this is not an individual thing, that you individually were raised, but that we were raised with Christ. And we are seated with Him. And we will be revealed with Him. And that we need each other in the context of this preparing for the kingdom to come. So, back to Colossians. So we're to put off all that old stuff that's like the world. Now, what do we put on? Okay. This is, you know, you take the bath and you come out. I'm clean. Good. Get some clothes on, right? So what, is, what do we put on? 
now that we've taken the other things off. Okay? So Paul's going to tell us. He says, so, as those who have been chosen of God, that's amazing. If you believe that Jesus came from God and that this resurrection really happened, that's not your intellect. That, my friend, is the Spirit of God. There are plenty smarter than you that don't believe that. God did something inside you by His Spirit to make you go, that makes sense to me. He is alive. He's risen. He's risen indeed. That comes from the Spirit of God. No one can say Jesus is Lord, Paul says, except by the Spirit of God. Now you can teach a parrot to say the words, but nobody says it believing it without the Spirit of God doing something in you. Chosen by God. Amazing grace. How can it be? Holy and beloved... Wow. Set apart, chosen by God, set apart by God, and included in the beloved, the people of God's love. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I want you to look at that. Notice what he says, put on a heart. Now, I said it was like putting on clothes. But we put clothes on the outside. And we cover up a lot of things. He's not saying that. Jesus did not like people who put these things on the outside. He called them whitewashed sepulchers. This is a heart change. This is a heart transformation. This is a heart transformation in the sense of a heart transplant. So he says, your heart now should be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient. Boy, the very different things than those other ones, right? Boy, don't I know it. There's the struggle. There's the rub. Bearing with one another... And forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. I have always said in counseling sessions when I get these people that think they've sinned so bad that God can't accept them. God doesn't accept anybody who says, uh, how far can I continue in my sin, right? But if they are turning from their sin, it doesn't matter how far away they're turning. And I always say to them, I'm not going to do this. But if you wanted to, we could do a little comparison here. And you wouldn't want to be in the room with me. Because my rebellion was, as a believer, my accountability for my rejection and my problems are greater because I knew better than what I was doing. And God has forgiven me and given me a life that I don't deserve. And a wife that I don't deserve. And a family I don't deserve. 
and friends in a congregation that I don't deserve. But it's good to have that. It's good to be there, right? Now, he's going to tell us through these things, think about it. If you think about the list of the passions, what are they about? Who are they about? You're in my way, jerk. Who is that about? Is that about the guy? No, it's about me, right? Compassion, kindness. Who's that about? Others. Wow. I mean, this, this is the ultimate distinction to care about others and it becomes ultimately the sign of believers. Now, he tells us to maintain this unity. Verses 14. Beyond all these things, <coughs> I was looking at the text of this, it's really uh, uh, on top of that. Okay? Not, and in addition, I mean, it's those kind of things. Okay? Above all the... Now, those are pretty good. Get rid of this junk. Put on this good stuff that helps people. And then above all, most of all, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, well, you want to put on love. Because putting on love is the idea of saying, okay, I'm other-minded. But why am I other-minded? So I can show that I'm a disciple, right? No, I'm trying to keep the unity of the body. It's not just me connecting to who I can connect to. My goal is to see the body connecting to the whole body. Because the unity is the primary goal that God wants. He's trying to keep the family together. He's trying to keep the marriage together. He's trying to keep the body together. He's trying to keep humanity together. Jesus said, Father, I pray that you would make them one as you and I are one. Unity is a major issue. We don't think of unity as the big issue. We think of doctrine as a big issue. Behavior as a big issue. Those are both great and must be there. But above all, as much as depends on you, live in peace with all men. Love requires us to be peaceful towards others, seeking to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The bond of love. So he says, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Interesting word there for rule. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. I always thought, well, okay, got the peace of Christ. Then somebody does something. Hey, you're messing with my peace here. Right? That's self. The word rule there says, be the umpire or the arbitrator. So when somebody does something, you go, hmm. 
disruptive. I can do one of two things. I can judge or I can let the peace of Christ arbitrate me back into the place where I belong. Humble, gentle, compassionate. I'm starting to try to struggle with reminding myself of these words whenever I'm inflamed by some whack job that gets in my way. And I seem to notice them more than most people do. It's a gift I have. But that's not good. Okay? Just one of those things, right? That's not risen with Christ. That's not ascended with Christ. That's not seated with Christ. That's not hidden. And that's not waiting to be revealed. Which is what we're called to do. Because that's our response to the resurrection. Well, how am I going to do that? Well, I can do it by reading, oh, if I'm reading this passage, that's scripture. So verse 16 says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Basically, we have got to internalize God's Word. We've got to learn it. We've got to be able to speak it. We've got to be able to understand it. We've got to be able to reinforce it with each other. We need that Word. The day may come when our Bibles are taken from us. We have have a, a whole culture that lives by cell phones. And you guys know this as well as I do. <clears throat> you recall a few years ago, <clears throat> South County, Orange County, had a, a power outage. Do you guys remember that? We were still living here in Anaheim Hills. And it didn't happen in Anaheim Hills. It happened in Irvine and South, down to San Clemente. Complete power outage. Okay? And the news was just about to go on, so I was watching the news, and the news people said, there's been a complete massive power outage in, uh, in southern Orange County, and we've sent trucks down there. And so they sent up the trucks out there, and they put up their satellite thing, sending their satellite message back, and they were standing in front of their trucks with their powered lights going, um, we're here where there's a total blackout, and people start running up. To the reporters, live. What's going on? Nothing works. We don't know what. We don't know what's going on. I mean, they were just in panic because their cell phones didn't work and their TVs didn't work. Now they never thought for a second to get in their car and turn on the car, which would both give them light and the radios would work. They didn't think of that because they were so used to the other things. See, that's the problem. If the world has the majority of you. And all of a sudden, the world goes dark, and it's going dark rapidly. You are not going to be able to pick up the Bible like a flashlight and turn it on. The people of South Orange County went into the 17th century that quickly. Because they were dependent on the world and not on their own ability to function. 
We are to depend on the Lord's Word. It works to dwell in us so that we can teach each other and admonish each other and make melody in our hearts with the, with the words of God so that we reinforce that and the children grow up so immersed in that community that it, they absorb it as well. And once it's inside you, it will spill over. So whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. This process is pretty simple. Be fully aware of the Word of God in your mind and your behavior and in community with others that ultimately your words and actions become an expression of obedience in the name of the Lord out of gratitude for what God has done. What this means is that the resurrection is not just a doctrine or a historical fact. It's a transforming power of God whereby we have died to the present world, have come alive to the world to come, and that reality is supposed to guide us in all that we say and do as we are preparing to be revealed with Him in the glory of the kingdom. And the very next verse, verse 18, which we won't go to, says it all starts in the home. In the home. The day may come when the congregations can't meet, but our homes will still be intact, maybe. We have to make sure that our congregation depends on our homes, not our homes depend on the congregation. Because we're raised with Him to walk in newness of life. Let's pray.